Morning, saints. Morning, sinners. Gosh, that's troubling. <laughs> and you know, it's a good thing and it's a bad thing, you know, it's, it's church. Welcome to Soul Sanctuary. If you're our visitor, we just want to encourage you to sit back, relax, take it all in. Um, uh, if you're looking for a place, or you're looking for a community, a spiritual community, we invite, encourage you to come six weeks in a row before you make a decision. That six weeks in a row is crucial because there's always something a little bit different happening. Last week we had Alexander Pushaga and his wife Elena here, and uh, they're from Moscow. We've done ministry with them, and I've had a crazy week. Uh, I went to a colony yesterday with them and got some sausage and some pepperoni. Uh, had a phenomenal conversation uh, with uh, our host family there. Um, got to see the ins and outs of the colony. It uh, broke down some of my own personal biases and that I had. Uh, very refreshing and enriching. We got to go, we took them to the versatile tractor plant. We went through there because of some of the farming operations that uh, we're trying to encourage to go on in Russia. Um, the Prashaga spent time with some of our local people, uh, Will Bergman, uh, Reg um, uh, Weens, um, uh, Jake Peters, David Wall, just people in our community, and they just loved it. And they love our community, they love you guys, and they're so grateful for all that we have done. And uh, I just want to say thank you for your welcoming and your support. Next week we have a special guest, his name is Dr. Wesley Hill. Uh, he has written a book called Washed and Waiting. And, uh, I just want to encourage you to uh, do your own research, dig online, see who he is about, Dr. Wesley Hill, and uh, uh, he's coming on behalf of Providence College and Seminary, and he will be our guest tomorrow, or next Sunday morning, and then after that we'll pick it up where we are in Matthew and keep walking. So, I called it Vision Sunday, Healing Sunday, uh, a little bit of, of everything, and before we go any further, I'm going to ask the, the next slide go up on the screen. Just, I want you to read it through in your mind just right now. Just take a look at that. And then if you'll humor me, I'd like us to say this together as our prayer before we get started. Let's pray. Audibly. Disturb us. Don't let us be comfortable. Stir our hearts. And let every thought and everything spoken and everything felt be blessed by you. Amen. Matthew chapter 4 is where we're picking up. And it's just the last couple of verses at the end of this chapter before we move on to 5. And Jesus went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the, the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of disease and sickness amongst the people. And so a report about him spread throughout Syria. And people brought to him all who suffered with various illnesses and afflictions and epileptics and paralytics and those possessed by demons. And he healed them. And a large crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan River. So Matthew describes the commencement of Jesus' ministry, as, and it starts off, and it kicks off with a bang. 
It's an instant success. It's really phenomenal. And it, 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 it could not have been otherwise. And so Jesus is going through all of Galilee and he's teaching and he's preaching and he's healing. And you can only imagine how the word must have spread to everybody. Uh, what, what it would have been like to have been there to have witnessed Jesus at work where every kind of illness that was brought to Jesus, he heals them. There's not an ailing person who was left unhealed. And, and this included those who were demon-possessed. It included those who were hopelessly sick. And if it were today, you know, you, there would be a lineup of you know, terminally ill cancer patients waiting for healing. And Jesus' ministry was not only extensive, it was taxing. And you've got to think about it, it's time-consuming. One of our uh, theologians, he mentions that uh, Jesus' ministry included teaching, preaching, healing. Galilee, the district itself covered, is small. It's about uh, 70 by 40 miles. But according to Josephus, a Jewish historian, who is writing one generation later after Jesus, Galilee had 204 cities and villages, each with no fewer than 15,000 persons. And so even if this figure refers only to the walled cities and not to the villages, which Josephus is not saying, a most conservative estimate points to a large population, even if less than Josephus's three million is what he's predicting. So we're looking at Jesus has got about uh, influence of around three million people. And at the rate of two villages or two towns per day, three months, it, it, three months would be required to visit all of them with no time off for the Sabbath. In other words, Jesus was busy. There's a bunch of people around and stuff is happening and the word is getting out. And his gathering comes from a very wide geographical range, which included Syria, which is you know, na- neighboring companies, uh, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, uh, also from beyond the Jordan. He is connecting in a big way. And, and so this withdrawal to Galilee, as we looked at a little while ago, doesn't destine him to be up in a little obscure place. I would say rather, it propels him into prominence. All eyes are on Jesus. The spotlight is on him. And, and, it, and what he is doing here, he's in this region. And everything he does is repeated, it's continuous, and it's contagious. Everything he does is repeated, continuous, and contagious. He preached repeatedly. Specifically, remember what his call was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so he's calling people to repent. He's announcing the good news of the kingdom of God. He's proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, it was being offered to all of those people who would listen, who would repent of their sins and turn to him in faith. The very son of God who would accomplish salvation by his death on the cross and subsequent resurrection from the dead was in their presence. And so we have have to ask the question, what is the kingdom? What is he talking about? The kingdom is something that is organizing. It's not an organization. The kingdom, as we see in scripture, is within you, but it's also outside of you and among you. The kingdom is down to earth, but it puts your head in the clouds, so to speak. The kingdom is not something that we can create or craft, but a gift that we can receive. The kingdom is not something we can build up, as Tom Wright puts it, but it's something that we can build for. As all we do of this value will be taken up into God's comprehensive renewal of the cosmos, new stuff begins to happen. The kingdom is for all generations. 
but only a child can enter it. Jesus foretold the kingdom and we got the church. And we can try to organize the kingdom into denominations and nations and civilizations, but the kingdom of Christ is Jesus, who is neither identical nor coextensive with any political or religious manifestation. It's just about Jesus. The kingdom of God means the kingdom of right relationships. The kingdom of God means the kingdom of uh, the regime of love. The kingdom of God means the lordship of Jesus. The presence of the Holy Spirit then constitutes the reign of Christ in the kingdom of God. And wherever the Holy Spirit is manifest, wherever he demonstrates himself, there is Jesus and he is present there. And the kingdom has come and the kingdom comes and the kingdom is coming. And this is what Jesus is talking about. And he taught continuously. He preached and he taught. And his teaching was in support of the preaching of the kingdom, which, you know, again, he called people to repent of their sins, to believe in the truth. And then he taught. And the message he preached required this explanation. The message he preached required teaching. And he healed then those in needs because at that point when that was happening, he's preaching, he's teaching, and now there's this demonstration. The Holy Spirit is showing up and people are getting healed. And what happens to Jesus is he gets contagious. I love this. Because contagious is generally a word used when somebody is ill or sick. You know, it's a common question, is it contagious? You know, it means to be spread by direct or indirect contact, communicable set of diseases, you know, carrying uh, or liable to transmit the causative agent of a contagious disease, spreading or tending to spread from person to person. You know, we always make it physical. It's contagious, it's bad. Well, there's other things that are contagious that are bad, but they're not necessarily physical. It's kind of like having a bad attitude. You ever notice when somebody in your own world has a bad attitude, how it affects you? This is horrible. Being negative. Being critical. It's contagious. You ever see how complaining can, can bring an entire office or an entire party down to the ground? It just sucks the joy out. Joy suckers, yeah. You know some joy suckers? Anybody say amen? Yeah. Well, I'll drink to that. No, no, we don't want those. Laughter, though. Laughter is also contagious, isn't it? Just sit and laugh. Our life group, we laughed so hard last night. Those of our people in our life group who missed out, it's our laugh group now. <laughs> because that's, there was tears. There was tears. The seriousness and tears and humor. It's like Alexander and Elena. I heard their story. I said to Sharon this morning, man, I heard their story. I can retell it almost to, to a T. But it's every time they were starting to talk about persecution and when they were beaten by police and other things. Like that, there, there's laughter. It was just wild. Laughter. Joy. A good mood. Isn't that contagious? Don't you want to be around people who are in a good mood? A sense of humor. Encouraging, uplifting speech. The praise of others. Isn't it great to be around somebody who's just praising other people? Not sucking up, but just praising. Giving worth to it. You know, what about being listened to? You ever want to be in a place where you want to be? Isn't that contagious when you can sit down with people and you know they're listening? Or you go on dates with people and you see them doing this, right? <laughs> you ever see that? Those are the greatest, greatest aspects. But just being understood. Isn't it contagious that you know when you sit down with somebody that they just understand you? That's a contagious environment. 
And Jesus, as we see, is a contagious person. And notice the scope of his ministry and how it just pans out. And the Pharisees, you know, they had a large following among people as well until Jesus shows up on the scene. And so what's the difference between the Pharisees and Jesus? Well, the Pharisees, they held a heavy weight of legalism over the people's head. And they followed because they had to. But Jesus comes in and he begins to release them. You know, why did the multitudes follow Jesus? He had something nobody else had. Scripture is very clear that, you know, they, they wanted what Jesus had and they followed him freely. They didn't follow him by force. His fame spreads abroad and, and what he had infected the lives of people. What made him so contagious? He didn't just talk about what God could do. He demonstrated it. You know, when, when people were infected with what Jesus had, it literally changed their lives. You know, we read in John, if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Indeed, it means for real. There's no pretending. There was a freedom that was taking place. And people who touched Jesus became uh, contagious. We see this throughout Scripture. There was a demoniac in Luke, and after he was set free from the demons, he went and he told the entire city that Jesus set him free. The leper in Mark, after Jesus healed him, he would tell anybody who would have listened. And, and people, the scripture says, are drawn to Jesus. The woman at the well, when she encounters Jesus, she leaves her jar, she runs back to the city, and she tells the people, come and see a man who, which told me all the things I ever did. Is this not the Christ? And we read, and she changed her town. It, many of the Samaritans of that city believed in Jesus because of her and her witness and her story and telling others. And then Peter in Acts 5, you know, this guy preached and many people came and became believers and then many people started getting healed so much so that they just hoped that when Peter walked by, if his shadow, figure this out, if his shadow would actually pass over them, that they would be healed. Well, that's kind of weird. Yeah, it is. And then in Philippians 5, it goes on in <clears throat> chapter 8. I'm sorry. He, uh, Philip preached to the people to come to Jesus, and miracles took place. And it says that there were great joy in the city. And then in Acts, Paul, in, in Acts 19, he, you know, God allowed some special miracles by a bunch of thieves. What they would do is Paul had his tent, and he was working, and he would have an apron or a rag, a sweat rag, and he'd wipe it, and he'd put it down. People were so superstitious that they went, and they, they grabbed, because Paul was preaching and teaching and healing, they would grab these, steal these sweat rags or these aprons, go back, put them on the sick people, and they got healed. God was doing some crazy stuff. So what's God's desire for the church today? I believe that God wants Soul Sanctuary to be a contagious church. Ephesians 3 says, And to make plain to everyone the administration of this ministry, for which the ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, through the church, that's you and I, people, not a building, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. And for order for this to happen, our lives, our lives, your life, my life, our lives have to be thoroughly infected with the presence and the power of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3 says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people 
to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep the love of Christ, and to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. And so to be contagious, we must love people of the world the way God does. Someone once said for years, we were referring to the church, criticize and browbeaten the sinners we're supposed to be winning for the Lord. Not today is still many people's thoughts of what the church is all about. You know, it was interesting. I was at the, the Wilma Dirksen Brook Lodge on Tuesday night. And uh, I'm standing by somebody. I have no clue who these people are. And of course, we just start talking and they find out that I passed her soul. And then they go, I, I just need to, we just need to tell you something. We live over here on Dover Court. And we had a bunch of young people come to our door, not just once, but twice, and ask, what can we pray for you about? Like, who would ever thought that you would, and, and they went on and they said, I, I think my wife was sick at the time and, you know, they prayed for her. And it, that was so cool. It was so neat. We just, yeah, yeah, nice to meet you. Maybe someday we'll come by. Do you, do you see the infection <laughs> happening right there? Becoming contagious? And I think, you know, Jesus only condemned the religious leaders because they were so stubborn and rebellious. And, we, and we're going to be going through that in Matthew. But to be contagious, we've got to do more than just talk. We've got to do more than just talk about forgiveness. We've got to do more than just talk about love or compassion and grace and, and mercy. We, as a church, as the church, need to learn to demonstrate it in a real way. So my question this morning is, are you a contagious Christian? Does the power of Christ in your life infect other people? That is the pastoral question today. And you know, we're still tab tabulating the results from the surveys that we uh, received over the last two weeks, but I want to share some highlights um, with you that really stand out for me. And uh, we'll call it our kingdom vision. On a separate note, uh, if you're interested in going to Israel, we're looking at February and March, we're going to actually call a meeting. There's a number of people that, quite a few number that expressed interest. So uh, we'll have more details, we'll call a meeting and you'll be able to find out more about that. But first, this is the most important thing. I am thrilled that about 75% of the people who filled out the questionnaire invited somebody to Seoul at least once. Are you not? Like, you're getting it. 13 years, you're finally getting it. You know, church is not about an insulation that we come and we have our party. We have like nine, one easy question, nine easy words. Would you like to come to church with me? The answer is yes or no. It's not a life and death question. You have no idea how thrilled I was to read this. And what it is, is that we're creating this culture of an invitation to which I want to say to you, don't stop. Don't stop. Keep asking. You know, also 50% of those who filled out the survey are volunteering and serving in a role of some sort. And again, you know, the normal church pattern is a 20-80 principle. 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. What we see is that we're almost at a 50%. Awesome. Saw this morning this photo of four guys, you know, setting up this morning. What a goal. Thank you. 
Because people have no clue what it takes to make a Sunday morning happen from the band to these chairs to these carpets to your coffee and cookies to the kids' ministry and everything. And it's volunteers. Thank you. And I look at this stat and I go, 50, yes, let's get 75. Then there are a number of other variables, but about 30% of you said that you're interested in a church plant. This is interesting. Because also that's relatively based on where. And I want to present to you that this morning that we are prayerfully, and I'm talking about leadership, considering and looking at planting in the north side of the city, North Kildonan, St. Paul, North Main area. You in? And more will come as I want to have a planning meeting, especially with all those of you who checked off that you were interested I know some of you want St. Vitale and other, look, we're already in the South End. I know you don't want to drive as far. You know, I was expecting Niverville, but that doesn't even come across much, right? Not that I'm close to it, but. Can I also give a brief advertising about giving here? First of all, I want to thank all those who contributed to Seoul over the past year. Uh, your tax receipts are on the way, and uh, um, I, again, I want to say, uh, Thank you. And again, I wanted to encourage giving. Now, here's, we, we don't have our um, financial report ready to present. It's, it's there, it's just not officially authorized. But I'll give you a brief one. Our general giving's gone up 9%. Our rentals has gone up 12%. But our costs have gone up exponentially as well to run the facility. And so in that whole process, we're good. We're finishing. We can do better. But this is what I'm asking. What we can't make any sense of is our giving uh, in the sense that it's not regular. It's just all over the map. And so the one thing that I ask for you that helps us be able to, to go from month to month and to keep doing out and to pay out all of our financial commitments and mortgages, our interest, because one of the things that we've noticed is that once we've gotten the building, our building fund has gone down. People think, oh, we're here, that's great. No, we still have 3.2 million to pay off. Now we're making all of our payments, principal and interest. But it would be nice to get more principal to get this monkey off our back. But the other thing is also when it comes to giving, and if you buy into it, and if you're receiving it, and you're seeing giving as an aspect of your worship to God, and you're just saying thank you, and you're going on that way, we just need you to be more regular. Because what happens is a lot of people wait until December, and then they go, oh, I better top up for my tax receipt. And all I'm saying is spread it out throughout the year. It makes it a whole lot easier. And it makes it easier for us to do ministry, to, to help give, and to, to go forward in what we're doing, and to expand. So that's my brief financial statements. Just help us. Be consistent in your giving. And you know what? And, and if you're struggling, we just did our good sense. Uh, we're going to do it again in, in I think a month or two. two. Uh, if you're having problems with your finances or you want to get a grip on that, we, we're here to help you. And that's what we want to do. We'll take you through the course and we'll give you some ideas. We'll give you some tools and we'll equip you to get yourself on, on get your feet on the ground. And uh, again, if soul's your home, you invest in your time, you invest in your talent, and you invest in your treasure. And uh, there's dividends to all of that. We just want to encourage you to be upon that line. And so what it all comes down to here is that we here at Seoul have a great responsibility. We have a great responsibility, and really, this responsibility we have is to share the kingdom of heaven. That's our responsibility. The ways of God with other people.
Listen to what Jesus says in John 7, 38. He says, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. So Jesus stands out and he shouts and he calls out and he preaches a great invitation to who? To thirsty people. And the water is a picture of the Holy Spirit of God. And believers would not only drink this living water, but they would become channels of living water to bless a thirsty world. And this is one of the reasons I believe that we should be planting another campus in our city. I can't expect people to drive here and I realize that we're called to bring, we are called to bring living water to a dying world. So North Main, West St. Paul, East St. Paul, you know, dying world. We need to be there. And I realize that we're called to do this. And you think about the picture of a river or water and what it means to us because water quenches our thirst, doesn't it? Mmm, mmm. Not coffee, just a reusable cup that I absolutely love. Um, and water, hot water, just quenches my thirst. It moistens my mouth. But we can only survive a short time without it. We need this water. Water, it cleanses, right? How many of us took a shower? And, and what do you feel like when you get out of a shower? You feel like a new life. It brings life. We need it for the farm. We need it for the vegetables. We need it for our livestock. It brings life. And just like the ways... Uh, of God purifies us, right? That brings us to life. And the picture of a river is what we're to be like to a dying world around us. What happens when we plug the river up and what happens if we're not refreshing other people? Let's just say that we want that river to refresh us and, you know, I don't really care about others. Well, then what happens then is that we begin to stagnate and ultimately what happens if you and I stagnate, we actually die and I am not there got to be fresh. And the identifying mark of Christ's ministry was all the healing of all types of sicknesses and all types of diseases in all types of people. And it's so important for us when we begin to study the scriptures to see that that word healing, therapeutic, that this ministry of Jesus was in support of his teaching, in support of his preaching. Jesus never performed miracles simply to display his power. It wasn't a gong show. It wasn't like, you know, a circus. It was always to authenticate his message and to identify him as savior and king, the savior and king that God has promised. And Matthew emphasizes the extent of Jesus' healing ministry beyond that region of Galilee. It went all over the place. All past Syria. And the point is, is that it reached into Gentile territory and it brought Jews and Gentiles to hear the message that Jesus preached and taught. And like so many of these, they came to Jesus and they, what did they do? They brought to him all the sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and, and torments. And the word translated sick there describes the miserable condition for those who came for healing. The word sickness and, and disease are general terms for the debilitating conditions to which Jesus was healing. That people were afflicted means that they were consumed with these various many types of diseases that plagued them, sicknesses and diseases were rampant in the time of Jesus as they are today. But one of the, the news of the one who could heal every disease brought to him was good news to the people. You know, and you break it down. 
Matthew keeps on going and he, he identifies three more of the severe problems that people experienced at the time. There, there were those who were demon-possessed, and then it says epileptics, and then paralytics. We sort of read over that and don't, don't take it deeply. And the fact that the people were demon-possessed is evident as we read the Gospels, we read the New Testament, we see Jesus encountered and had convulsions with fallen angels who had entered and controlled many human beings. And that today, my friend, is still alive. We just tend to blow it off. And such possession by evil spirits was oppressive. It was destructive to God's image. Even in Job 2, describes satanically influenced illness on a believer without possession. The demons possess, were, and are today lost individuals who are held hostage in their own bodies unable to take care or control of themselves, often resulting in physical injury or illness. And you think about it, doctors were of no use in such cases. And, you know, we even read that there were Jewish exorcists. They attempted to cast out demons, even in the New Testament. It was a real problem then, and it is today. The epileptics, they posed another incurable disease. The, the, the word literally means moonstruck, which is interesting because it, it, it was commonly thought that in men, many cultures that mentally ill and those suffering from what we even know today as seizures were under the control of the moon. And Matthew 7.15 is one example uh, of what is believed to describe the disorder that we, we would call epilepsy that some of you have here. And, and the last condition mentioned specifically that is one that describes paralytics. And again, translated by the word of its palsy is that word. It simply describes various crippling conditions. And paralysis was, was most always a permanent condition. You know, the, the effects of a stroke, the, you know, the things that would lead to paralysis. And you take a look and you actually stand back from the scripture and this is what you see. That Matthew actually categorizes these into three serious conditions, yet I see it as more general areas that stem. And then the first one, the demon-possessed, Jesus heals the spiritual. In the one with the epilepsy, Jesus heals the mental. And then the one with the paralytics, Jesus heals the physical. You see it? And to be healed of any of these was to be truly a miracle of God that only God could actually perform. And so Jesus is touching all three areas of that day and physicians of that day could treat some of the sicknesses they did to the best of their ability, just like doctors of our day. But even sometimes doctors in our day are sometimes limited. There will always be some things that men cannot understand that we can't, under, that we can't control and diseases, uh, you know, it's just one of those areas. You know, we have found cures for many illnesses, but there are many more that we are unable to treat or even explain, never mind a cure. And yet the fact of the matter is we believe in a God who is capable of totally removing the sickness from the face of the world. It was allowed by him because of our sin. We broke it. We messed it up. And only until the Lord himself subdues the earth in his future kingdom will the world again see the mass healing of the Lord. It's in heaven where we'll be free for eternity of all disease. The curse of sin will be removed forever. And 
what I see in these verses is that physical suffering and pain is very real. And Jesus understood that, and Jesus did something about it. And Matthew put it very simply. Matthew said, and he healed them. And Jesus didn't heal all the people everywhere. We need to remember that. But he did heal everyone who came to him, which is quite interesting. And not everybody who came to Jesus came with faith, truly believing that he was the son of God, but out of compassion for the lost. When Jesus looked on these people, he healed people who sought to be healed. That was interesting and profound. And the whole point of the passage, though, is not to show that God wants people to be healed all the time, like many so-called faith healers will claim. The point is that Jesus Christ is truly the Son of God. The point is that his teaching and his preaching and his healing are clear signs of his identity as God's promised Savior and King. And the question you have to ask yourself is, are you looking to him in faith as your Savior and your King? Is that who Jesus is to us? Is it hot in here or is it just me? Am I hot? <laughs> hey, baby. I'm working up a sweat. Well, it's pretty clear when we read Matthew that he wants us to see Jesus' words and deeds as two sides of the same coin. In Jesus' words and deeds, they always go together. And one can, only be fully, one can only fully understand and fully appreciate in light of the other. It's hand in hand. And so the teaching of Jesus is his words is, is more fully and understood and appreciated when we come face to face with his divine nature, when we come face to face with his power as it's revealed and his miracles and healing, which is his deeds. And so for those who have faith, the deeds of, of Jesus authenticate the words of Jesus, but we got to come and see the reverse is also true. That his deeds can only be fully understood in light of his teaching and preaching. They go in hand in hand. And that's the gospel of the kingdom. And for those who have faith, the words of Jesus explaining the meaning of the deeds goes on. And this is something that we don't often think about. But again, for Matthew, Jesus' deeds should never be separated from his works. Sorry, his deeds should never be his words, not his works. And they're never considered separate and apart from his message. And in the ministry of Jesus, as we'll see, the physical healing almost always assumes spiritual healing and the forgiveness of sins. And, and that's the requirement for faith. And so we could say that, you know, spiritual healing is always meant to result in the physical redemption of our bodies. Jesus came to redeem us as whole people. Yeah, we live in a broken world. But he came to redeem us in body, soul, and spirit. He came to deliver us from the rule of Satan, both spiritually and physically. Now let me say this. We believe that Jesus Christ has and will heal. Scripture tells us he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he's the same. He's the same as we read in Matthew. And we believe it. I believe it. And as we read in the New Testament, we understand that the healings we read are actual, literal, physical healings. And deliverances, right? And we believe, it's easy for us to believe that Jesus did miracles. That he does miracles. And that we have to take the next point and that he will do miracles. And we believe that. But it doesn't happen a lot. And I said this before. That's why they're called miracles. Because by definition, they're unusual. It's a miracle. It's unusual. But we do believe that God can heal. 
that Jesus does heal and that Jesus will heal. And that's why here at Seoul, we pray for the sick. And you notice what we didn't stop and, and do some prayer. But look at James's own brother said that if any of you are sick, let us uh, let the elders anoint you and pray for you. That's what we do here every Sunday. We're going to be doing that in a few minutes as soon as I'm done. We believe in praying for the sick, and yes, we have seen by God's grace, and we will see these prayers answered, and some people actually, literally, physically healed. I believe that without a question. And healing is a topic that's filled with controversy. It's filled with confusion, and I believe the disagreement and debate are caused by two extremes that are found in Christianity today. The one point denies healing altogether. You know, it denies that healing is for today. And these are well-meaning believers that say that healing was assigned to unbelievers in the days of the early church, and we can't see it anymore. Well, that's an extreme. The other extreme is those who demand God to do the miraculous healings. All the time. And they proclaim that God will instantly heal anyone, anytime, as long as he or she has enough faith. And of course, if you don't get healed, then the problem's on you, and you don't have uh, faith. But there are too many examples of faith-filled Christians who aren't instantly healed. Especially in the Bible. Go figure that one. God told Paul that he wouldn't heal him because his grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness, Paul. You're not going to get healed. I'm not going to take this thorn out of your flesh, whatever it is. And so both of these extremes in Christianity overlook God's routine daily ministry of healing that's always presented to us. Open our eyes, God. Disturb us was our prayer, right? And so I believe that there are a number of ways that God heals. And you can disagree with me if you want, but you're wrong. First, people in the helping professions, nurses, doctors, all those researchers, you're in the helping profession. You are part of God's healing team. Say thank you to doctors and nurses and everything else like that. <laughs> Secondly, the medical treatments we go through, people, are part of the miraculous healing that God provides. Third, the creative processes in our bodies. You know, if we eat right, things are going to work a little better. Sometimes we have to add some medication to make things balance out, right? But there's this created process in our body. White blood cells, they do something. And then there's God's direct touch. God's direct touch. When we begin to look through the New Testament, we see that Jesus healed the sick for three reasons. A person said, please heal me person would come to Jesus and say, heal my loved one. And the third one is beautiful. Jesus has simply chose to do it. You know, when we read the Bible, again, even our own reading of the Bible, there's healing effects to the obedience of Scripture. You know, for example, you know, reading and meditating on Psalm 23 can calm our nerves in stress-filled times. Learning the importance of forgiving those who have sinned against us will eliminate the weight of bitter anger. And you know what? I can go on and on and on. But it's there. Reading the scripture, meditating on scripture, applying that knowledge to our hearts and to our lives is a healing process. And finally, let's be honest, the ultimate cure or healing is when Jesus comes again or the resurrection. 
And that's when God will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. As Paul goes on and he writes, he says, these fragile bodies will be raised and perishable will be changed for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. The Bible's filled with promises of all different kinds of healing in Jeremiah and Psalms and Luke, Proverbs, Isaiah, Romans. And then, of course, we come to James. James chapter 5, is any of you in trouble, he should pray. Is anybody happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is anyone of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has sinned, he is forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. And the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And the book of James is written to Jewish Christians. They tended to believe that all sickness was actually caused by sin. In John chapter 9, the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. In James chapter 4, we find that these Christians also failed to pray or prayed with the wrong motives. They were encouraged to make their plans, their decisions in lines with God's will as well. And so earlier in James 5, the Christians are encouraged to be patient until the Lord's coming. And so the promise to heal is conditioned on God's plan for us, but also on his timing. And we know that sickness is not always caused by sin in our lives. And in fact, God often uses sickness as an opportunity to work in our lives. And God heals in several different ways, as I mentioned earlier. And, and he you know, times these healing actions to make us more like Jesus, in my opinion, so that the work of God might be displayed in our lives. God does answer prayer for healing. He just determines the how and the when. So how can we be involved in healing prayer? What can we do to see God's healing power at work? Well, there are four actions involved in healing prayer. And Josh, if you and your team can get up here, I'd appreciate it. The first one is we celebrate. You know, I'm inspired by, like I said, these brief surveys that we, we did, and maybe you didn't fill it out, that's fine. I just needed to get a, a um, understanding of our community. And, and stuff is happening here, if I can say it that way. But we need to celebrate Jesus. And this is something we do every time we gather together. We worship him and we, we culturally do this with songs and singing. And we need to remember and to live in victory. We need to remember that Jesus won on the cross and that there's this empty tomb and that's why we do what we do. And so we celebrate, we worship. And we're gonna do that in just a moment. We're gonna create an atmosphere of praise and worship in this room. Secondly, we need to be very clear. So maybe you're here today and you're going, man, I need to be touched here. I need to be touched physically, spiritually, you know, emotionally. So you need to be clear. You need to ask specifically God, you know. Scripture says, don't be anxious about anything and everything, but by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your needs to God. Ask God specifically, God, can I get healed of this? Can you help me? Be specific. Keep going. 
third point is really important. And sometimes I think we failed. This, this, I think, actually becomes the failure within the Christian community, if I can put it that strong. That we need to commit our life to God. You know, Psalm 37, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy the safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart and commit your way to the Lord. It's all focused on him. Develop this attitude that declares that if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. We need to commit. And I think that sometimes we fail on that commitment part. We want God to deliver, but we fail on our part to actually step up and commit and deliver back and be obedient to scripture. And then it says confess. Confess our sins, our needs, our fears, our hopes. You know, and in that process of confession, which really was our prayer of some sort this morning to kick off, there's an element of faith. And so James begins his passage with a series of questions. Is any trouble, happy, any of you sick? Allow me then now to end with a few questions of my own. How you doing today? How are you doing today? And in what way are you feeling less than whole? Are you broken hearted? Are you asking God to heal you in some way? In what way are you lacking wholeness or completeness in your life? What's missing? Are you physically ill this morning? Are you flooded with uh, feelings of loss and grief? Is there a habit that you can't seem to break free of? Are there attitudes or maybe relationships that need God's healing touch? Bow your heads with me. And I just want you to, to just if you can, just close your eyes, focus your attention on, on the Holy Spirit. And think about what God wants to do in your life. It's not about us being, doing more work for God. This is about us being obedient to what he's placing in our hearts. What are the, what are the chains that he would like to liberate you from? What does he want to mend? What does he want to make whole again in your physical, in your emotional, your mental, your spiritual, or your relational life? God, sometimes our hearts grow a little hard. And then maybe we don't celebrate like we used to or should. And you know, maybe we should be celebrating when people get baptized or somebody becomes a believer or enjoying my life. But we don't, you know, it's just like, oh, wait, yeah. God, I thank you 
for the point when you allowed me to connect with you through Jesus Christ. God, I, I give you thanks that I can know you. And God, I want the pursuit of my life to be knowing you more. And my prayer is for the people of soul to do the same. So God, help me to do just that. Help me to know you more tomorrow than I do today and more the next day than I do tomorrow. God, as I make a commitment to your church publicly, help me to fulfill the commitments of treating your church as it truly is, which is the bride of your son, Jesus. <coughs> God, help me, help us to cultivate spiritual habits and forgive us when we get so rushed and so busy and we don't have the time to grow. God, just help us to bring honor and glory to you. Help us to carve out the time to grow. Help us do just that. And God, forgive me when I get so self-centered that I just ignore others. And help me be less selfish in the coming days and put more of a focus on caring for others and reaching out. And when I see a need, God, just help me to do all I can to meet that need. And finally, God, I want you. I want to be able to celebrate what you celebrate. I want to be happy about what you're happy about. So God, help me to worship you, not just on Sunday, but with all my life, every day. I don't think we've done this in a, in a very long time. I'm going to ask my prayer team to come, and they, they're going to get vials of oil from the crosses, and they're going to actually stand across the front Today. We're changing it up. And I got some time and so do you, so we're in no rush to, to leave. I'm going to invite you to stand. The worship team is going to begin to lead us in a song. And I'm holding an open invitation. Nobody wants to stand in front of me or what? I showered this morning. I'm fresh. I may be hot and sweating now, but I'm fresh. So we're going to celebrate. We're going to turn this place into just a time of worship. Worship God who we are. But we're also going to invite those who need prayer to come forward and to be prayed for. My biggest frustration this is my pastoral scolding. My biggest frustration is when I know you're sick and you have confessed and you told me, hey, Jerry, I'm sick, I'm battling with this, and you don't go for prayer. Why not? Why are you so stubborn? Why well, I went once. Great, go every day. Go every time it's offered. If you want me to pray for you, be responsive as well. Let us pray for you. Let us support you. Let's, let us lift you up. Let us just ask God for a miracle. And maybe, just maybe, just maybe, something happens in a divine way. Maybe something happens in the way that he's orchestrated through the doctors, the nurses, the medication, through your own blood fighting whatever is coming this way, whatever it might be. But let's respond and give God the glory. And you know what? We then, we then become that river of life 
to a drying, dead world around us. Don't you want that? Don't you want to be that contagious person? Oh, Jerry, I got nothing to go forward for. Awesome! (laughs) Let's sing and worship. Put your hands almost in the air. (laughs) Scripture says, lift holy hands. Make a joyful noise. Talks about the lyre, the harp. It talks about, you know, getting a little unglued. You know, this Wednesday we're talking about our our, uh, our first Wednesday where we're going to let our Pentecostal charismatic hair down just a little bit. And my hair is very short, so it's not going to go very far. But, you know, for some of you guys, you're craving for this. Like, And I'm not talking about the weird and wacky. I'm talking about just allowing God to move. Can we have a little bit of that today? And so as the worship team's going, and if God is impressing upon your heart, come and you stand in front of our people. uh, Tell them your name. Tell them specifically what you can pray for. And you know what? If there needs to be some confession between you and God, get that done first before you move forward. And then let us pray for you. Let us believe by faith that he's going to be doing something in your life. And like I said, if it's a miracle and that hand, that that cosmic hand comes from out of nowhere and changes you, awesome. Awesome. But if it's the doctors and the nurses and the treatments and all that other stuff, then that's awesome as well. But let's give God the glory. Go ahead, Josh. Come, those who need to be prayed for. Fill us with your spirit. God, make us rivers of life wherever we go. And may our words be put into deeds like yours. And so spirit move. And all these prayers that have gone up to set people free, we ask that you would move. God, our first and foremost request is that you would step out into our world in a miraculous way and change and heal. Use the health care aids. Use the medication. Use our bodies, God. And we understand that everything is in your time and we just commit it to you right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Do your second song that you did. In ancient time, the one who blessed extended his hands for a blessing. Those receiving the blessing did likewise. So here it is. So sanctuary, may the Holy Spirit disturb you. <laughs> I hate those prayers. Oh, may the Holy Spirit not allow us to be comfortable. May the Holy Spirit stir our hearts to impact the world around us for Christ. So, so sanctuary, as you go, go out into the world in peace and may you have courage this week and may you hold on to what is good and return no evil for evil. So sanctuary, encourage and support the weak, help the suffering, honor everyone and love and serve the Lord and rejoice in the power that the Holy Spirit gives you. Be blessed, and we will see you next.